0: you're listening to audio from highland baptist church in waco texas to find out more about highland go to www.hbcwaco.org amen well good morning you can be seated My name is Drew Humphrey, and I'm the college pastor here at Highland, and really excited to continue in a series that Pastor John began a couple weeks ago called Close. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at different biblical characters, men and women in the Bible over this series, where we can see how and why they drew close to God. And so we're gonna continue that today as we go forward. Um, We just sang it, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, there is power in his name. And I just wanna remind all of us today, before we get into the Word, that God is still a miracle maker. That God still does miracles amongst us. It's not just a time that happened in the Bible where there were miracles, but it is still happening to this day. There is still power in the name of Jesus to do miracles, and what we're gonna see today is we're gonna look into the life of Elijah in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. If you wanna start turning there, 1 Kings chapter 17, it's right after the Samuels and it's right before the Chronicles, about a third of the way through the Bible, so right there, 1 Kings chapter 17, but we're gonna see that God interacts with Elijah in a really specific way as a miracle maker. And the question for us is, how can we draw near to this miracle maker? How can we draw close like Elijah drew close? And, and really to start out, I just wanna say it simply like this. If we want to draw close to this miracle maker and experience these supernatural moments in our lives, then we must, we must ready ourselves in the right posture. We must ready ourselves in the right posture. If you're taking notes today, write the word posture at the top of your page, because that's what we're gonna talk about mostly Today and and really when I think about posture, uh, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I played baseball and I was a decently good baseball player in elementary school. I was like my city's uh, all star first baseman. All right, so if you know Coach Rod from the Baylor Bears is here, you know you can give me a call. I still have four years of eligibility left. Right, so third grade all star first baseman. And and one of the things my teacher, uh, my coach would always teach me, is that he would talk about the stance. You guys know what I'm talking about in baseball. Right, where when when the pitcher's about to throw it and the batter's about to hit it, all the other like seven or eight fielders out there, they all kind of do this, right? You know what I'm talking about, they get into that mode. So I remember two specific plays when I was in third grade. One time I was actually playing shortstop and, and, and the pitcher was about to throw it and I got into the stance and it came right at me, a line drive and it was like Derek Jeter, top 10 play, just like backwards, third grade, just you know, fully parallel to the ground and snagged it and I just felt like a beast, it was awesome. Everybody was cheering, it was great, I still have it in my mind, right? Uh, but then I remember the other time when I was playing first base, And you know, sometimes baseball gets boring. I don't know if y'all know that about baseball. I don't mean to offend you. But I was sitting out there on on first base just kinda doing my thing and I didn't get in the stance. My posture wasn't right. And the ball came and hit me right in the eye socket. Line drive. I was wearing glasses and I was never the same again. Like I was scared of the ball. It was my last season to play baseball because I was so scared of the ball. It changed everything about it because my posture was wrong. Because I wasn't ready, because I wasn't in that stance that my coach had, had taught me to stand in. Everything was different, I wasn't ready to receive. And the same is true for us when these opportunities of miracles happen in our lives, when these moments for God to intersect in supernatural ways, we can either be ready in the right posture, or we can miss it altogether. And if you think about Jesus, the miracle maker himself who was around, when he was walking around the earth and he had these people who were close to him Remember who it was that was seeing these miracles and who it was that Jesus was bringing in more closely, right? It wasn't the people who were uh, religious and it wasn't the people who were uh, righteous in their qualifications. It wasn't these people like the Pharisees. In fact, he was frustrated with them, but it was even the sinners, it was the broken people, it was the messed up people, the doubters, the ones who postured themselves rightly before God in the flesh, in Jesus, they received the miracle. And we're gonna see that in the story of Elijah today because Elijah saw a lot of miracles in his day and it's because he postured himself rightly before the miracle maker. So let's learn from him, let's imitate him as we turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Again, it's about a third of the way through your Bible, chapter 17. We're gonna start in verse two. And really the only thing you need to know is that Elijah is a prophet and a man of God and that in the land that he's living, there has been a drought. And so we're entering into the story with with the area having been in a drought. Verse two of chapter 17. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. I mean, that's pretty incredible. It's like Cinderella. I mean, the, the little birds are coming and they're bringing him food every day. This is crazy. This is real. So he did what the Lord had told him. And he went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and drank from the brook. And Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Let's stop there. We're gonna take this in three chunks this morning. Let's stop there. And what we're gonna really look at today is three questions to ask ourselves about our posture. So there's gonna be these questions to check my posture. That's what we're gonna look at if you're taking notes or if you're following along on the screen behind me. It's really this question of, am I ready for God to do the supernatural in my life? So the first question that we can ask is this. Am I trusting in the miracle or in the miracle maker? Am I trusting in the miracle or am I trusting And the miracle maker. As I had said, there was a drought. There had been this, this, the whole land was without water, with very little water, and yet God had been sustaining Elijah through the miracle of this brook, through this little river, this tiny little creek that was providing him water every single day, but now it had run dry, and we have to ask our questions, why would that happen? The drought still continues, Elijah is still a man of God, and yet God all of a sudden removes the miracle from Elijah's life. And we have to ask the question, why would you do that God? And I think it's for for Elijah to be reminded to trust the Lord and to not trust the brook. To trust in the miracle maker and to not trust the miracle himself. Because like Elijah, many of us, we might be going through our lives letting the circumstances dictate our trust and our worship in God. And so no matter how good my week was or how bad my week was, no matter uh, you know, what, what's been going on in my life, if God's been providing miracles and blessings, sometimes we get our attention fixed on the miracle, on the blessing, on these other things, and it, and it goes away from the one who brought those miracles, the one who brought those blessings. And so sometimes God will remove these things from our life that we might refocus and retrust on him and develop this devotion for him. Uh, there's a story about my life that really goes on before my life as it relates to this. And it's really more about my parents. Um, Before I was born, my parents, they were married when my dad was 22 and my mom was 20, and they didn't have me for seven years later. I'm uh, their eldest son. And over those seven years, they were really uh, just praying and begging God to, to give them a child, and they were going through infertility. And many of you know, uh, those who have gone through this, or maybe you're even going through this right now, and infertility is a, is a horribly hard thing to go through uh, in life. And you know, they, were, they couldn't get pregnant, or then they would get pregnant and there would be a miscarriage. Uh, and then they couldn't get pregnant, and there'd be another miscarriage. And this is just over and over again, and they're just begging God, God, would you provide a miracle? God, it's only gonna take a miracle. And then the miracle arrived, and little baby drew, right? I mean, and... and um, <laughs> And here I was, just this perfect little child, right? And the, the happiest day of their life was when I was born and it was just all downhill from there, right? But it was, it was great and they had this miracle given to them and the God had answered their prayers in a miracle. And then it was about a few years later, I'd been growing up and living a healthy and happy life when I was diagnosed with something called chronic neutropenia. And I am not a medical scientist or a doctor or a nurse or any of these things. So if you're one of those, I'm sure you'll come up to me afterwards and tell me that I explained this uh, poorly. But basically what it meant is that as a little toddler, I didn't have any defenses against the bad things in this world that were trying to attack my body, like diseases or uh, bacteria or sicknesses or illnesses. And so literally my body was almost attacking itself, which then left my defenses down. And so my cells couldn't protect me. And so as a little toddler, I was literally uh, like the bubble boy, right? Where you have to like be protected. When people come into my house, they'd have to scrub up and they'd have to be really healthy because if I got sick, I could literally die. And so this is going uh, in a bad direction for my parents. I mean, and for me, it, it's, it's a really scary thing in my family's life. And my mom and my dad, they're just wrestling with God. God, you, you gave us all this time, seven years of no children, and, and then all of a sudden we have this child, and, and, and yet now he's, he's in such a, a fragile state. God, what are you doing? So it, it, it escalated to the point where I was in the hospital, and they had me in a tent that basically was pumping Medication into the air so I could just kind of be in this tent. And I was getting really sick and my neutrophils numbers were going down and it wasn't looking good and they were saying, you know, he'll, he'll probably have to be homeschooled, he'll probably have to be at home a lot, probably won't be able to play sports, those kind of things. And uh, that was kind of the trajectory. And my mom got into that tent with me one night as I was falling asleep just to protect me and to take care of me and to just love me in this scary time. And, and she said that night that she just prayed and prayed and said, God, I give you this child. God, I trust you with this kid. I know that you can do big things in a life. And she said that she just had this peace come over her in that little tent that night that God was gonna take care of her little boy. And she had a trust in God that night. And it was the next morning when we woke up and we started checking my numbers again that the neutrophil numbers started to go up and that everything started to change and that I was able to play baseball and that I was able to go to school and that I was able to live a normal life. But it was just like this where my parents, they were learning this lesson, just like Elijah learned the lesson here that sometimes God provides a miracle in our life and then he might pull it back. Sometimes God provides a blessing in our lives and he might pull it back that we might recalibrate and refocus and say, I'm gonna focus and trust and put my hope and my faith in the miracle maker and not in the miracle. And, and this is the same thing in the book of Job. If you remember Job, everything was removed from him, his family, his blessings, his, his livestock, his his health, everything was removed from him. And you know what he said in Job chapter one, verse 21, he said this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and he takes away, but blessed be the miracle making name of the Lord. And here's the truth about God. God's promises are always trustworthy because he's not gonna let Elijah die of thirst here, we're gonna see, but, but his purpose is greater than just sustaining Elijah. And his purpose is greater than just sustaining us. God's priority is developing devotion and strengthening his dependence on God. God's priority is to develop devotion in Elijah and to strengthen his dependence on God. And I heard it said this way one time, that God will gladly trade uh, our, our temporary suffering in our lives. He'll gladly allow some temporary suffering in our lives if it develops a deeper devotion and dependency on him because it takes the focus off the blessing, off the miracle, off the, off the ease of life, and it puts it on to the miracle maker, onto the one who gives us those blessings. So we need to ask ourselves the question, am I trusting in the miracle, or am I trusting in the miracle maker? Let's continue in chapter 17. Let's pick it back up in verse seven. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? She was going to get it, he called, and please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So, he went away and di- so she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Miracle number two. Here's the second question we can ask about our posture. Do I expect for God to deliver on his promises? Do I expect for God to deliver on his promises? If you remember in the first miracle of the ravens bringing the food and the brook coming and bringing the water, God laid it out perfectly, exactly what was gonna happen. He told Elijah, this is the miracle. This is the thing that you need to know and how it's gonna happen. But in this one, he actually just says that you're gonna go to this town and you're gonna bump into a widow and that widow is gonna take care of you. It wasn't laid out perfectly for Elijah. It wasn't said, this widow will say this about the jar and and I'm gonna provide this even secondary miracle, not just of the widow being there at the perfect time, but that I'm gonna provide these jars to never run out of these two ingredients to continue to sustain you. Right? He never lays that out perfectly for Elijah, but Elijah had to come to this gate and he had to see the woman and he had to say, this is the one that God was talking about. No matter what she says, this must be the woman. I expect God to deliver on his promise no matter what the circumstance says. Imagine if he had walked up to the gate and he had said, uh, woman, woman, uh, can you feed me? And she said, no, I'm actually out of food, I'm out of water, I'm going to just make my last meal and we're gonna die, and he said, Okay, it must not be you, bye, right? And just gone on to the, next, to the next widow that he found to the next woman. What if he had missed it because of the circumstance of that moment he had looked past it because he wasn't expecting God to do these big things and these huge things through this woman. And so this kind of silly idea of him asking this question to her, but, but, but are we missing our miracles because we aren't looking for the ways that God is working to fulfill his promises in us? Are we missing those miracles because we aren't expecting and seeing and looking for God to do these things through the people and the circumstances around us? It reminds me of an incredible story in the book of John, John chapter five, where Jesus and his disciples, they're they're walking around and they're healing people all over the place. I mean, it's crazy. And they come up to this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And this pool is kind of this urban legend where it said that the angels would come and they would swirl the water from time to time and if people would go into this pool just at the right time when the water was being swirled that whatever ailments they had or diseases or sicknesses or whatever else they had would be healed, And so you can imagine dozens, if not hundreds of people are gathering on this pool waiting. People who, who can't see, who can't walk, who have leprosy maybe, who, who are sick. All of these things who are on the verge of death are gathered around all of this right here around this pool and Jesus and his followers come through. And they walk by and it says that they bump into a man there who's waiting for the waters to be swirled, but he can't get there because no one will carry him into the water. So every time the waters are swirled, he starts to crawl there and he can't make it because no one will help him get in. And Jesus heals him in that moment. He and this, this man have a moment and the miracle maker himself heals this man. And we, it's an incredible story. But when we read that story, when we think about that story, I, I'm always just shaken by the fact that there were dozens and hundreds of people around Jesus who wanted healing, who needed healing, and yet they were going to the wrong source. The miracle maker himself in Jesus was right in front of them, the one who could solve everything they needed and yet their hope was in a pool. Their hope was in the waters being stirred and hopefully this might be the time that it happens and they were missing their miracle. They were missing the miracle maker. A couple years ago, Pastor John was talking uh, and he said this quote. He said, too many Christians are leaning on a shovel and praying for a hole. Shovel and praying for a hole. And many of us, were looking right past our miracles because we don't have it perfectly laid out for us. And God says to to raise your awareness, just to lift up your eyes, to bring it up higher, to be watchful for the ways that God will deliver and work wonders around us, just like Elijah was. He said, I found the widow, I don't care what she says, God will make a miracle through this woman because he keeps his promises. Let's continue reading and, and talk about our final and last question here, verse 17. Let's finish this story out. So sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill, and he grew worse and worse, and finally he stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? He said, give me your son. And he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his bed. And then he cried out there to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I mean, what an incredible miracle. Miracles are just stacking on themselves in the story, getting bigger and bigger. And here's the third and final question that we can ask ourselves as we try to rightly posture ourselves before the miracle maker. It's this, will I believe in the previously unseen miracles? will I believe in the previously unseen miracles? Because I wanna remind you that so far in the first two miracles before this time, where God is providing food and water, these are previously seen miracles in God's word and in the life of the followers of God. Uh, The Israelites, when they were walking through the desert, God provided manna from heaven. He provided food for them and it's an amazing miracle, just like it's an amazing miracle that God provided food for Elijah. When the Israelites were walking through the desert, they were thirsty, they had no water. And it says that Moses took his staff and he hit a rock. And when he hit that rock, water shot out of it like a water fountain. And the Israelites, they were given water so they wouldn't be thirsty and die. And the same is true with what he did in the brook for Elijah. God has provided these things before, but up until this story, this moment in the Bible, there's no record of God raising anyone from the dead. This is a previously unseen miracle that Elijah is requesting. And now he's faced with believing for a previously unseen miracle. Even though Elijah had never seen it, even though Elijah had never heard about God doing this, he had faith that God was the miracle maker and that God could raise this boy back to life. Recently, I read a story about the Heimlich Maneuver uh, the Heimlich Maneuver's been around for decades, and I mean, every elementary school, every CPR class, every hospital, they teach about this Heimlich Maneuver where if someone's choking on something, right, you put your arm under the kind of where their diaphragm is and you pull up and then, and then they spit out whatever's in there and then everyone cheers and it's just this great moment, right, I mean, This happens all the time. People are saved by this incredible maneuver. It was created by this person named Dr. Heimlich, actually. And he created it, and people bought into it, and it started to work, and so it became this mass-produced thing, and they they, they marketed it all over the place to save people's lives. Well, it wasn't until two months ago, decades and decades and decades later, that Dr. Heimlich had a moment to save someone using the Heimlich maneuver. And it was a 96-year-old woman. He'd never done it before. And, and, and this woman is choking and he goes and he saves her life using the Heimlich maneuver, the inventor himself. He'd never seen it done, it's was previously unseen, but he knew and he believed this is gonna work, right? And it worked. And in our faith it's the same thing. Do we, do we believe in the previously unseen? Do we have faith in those things that we've never seen done but we know God can do? Recently, I was uh, talking to one of our students here at Highland, and this student actually isn't a college, isn't, excuse me, this student isn't a Christian, uh, but comes to church and is involved in some Bible classes. So we were talking about the Bible and talking about God, and, and I asked him, I said, you know, you do all these things, you come to certain church events and you wanna talk about God, why? Why don't you believe in God? Why aren't you a Christian? And he said, I, I'm not a Christian because I'm a business major, I wanna be a businessman. And if I wanna be a businessman, I need to be realistic. And he said, but Christians are unrealistic. He said, maybe when I retire, I'll become a Christian. He said, but Christians are too unrealistic for me. And I sat there for about what felt like 30 minutes, but it was probably two seconds, and I thought, that is awesome. (laughs) I was like, that is so true. Praise God when Christians are unrealistic. It's my prayer that this this student would would believe in that, would see unrealistic things in his life that God is trying to do that he might become an unrealistic Christian. But praise God when Christians are unrealistic. Because too many times we walk through life as realistic people and read a book about people who were doing unrealistic things because they followed a God who did unrealistic things. I mean, think about Noah and and the story of Noah and the ark. God comes to him and he says, Noah, rain is coming. And Noah says, I don't know what rain is, right? I've never seen rain before. And he says, don't care, rain is coming. I'm gonna flood the world and and you need to build a boat because you're gonna save humanity. And not only humanity, but little animals are gonna come up to this boat and get in here and they're gonna behave. I mean, it's crazy. Unrealistic. And he builds it. He's unrealistic. He believes in the previously unseen and God works an incredible miracle." Moses, when he's leading two million Jews away from slavery, away from the Egyptians, and right on their heels as they're running from Egypt is the whole Egyptian army coming up against them, and they come up against the Red Sea, and they're wedged between this massive sea and this massive army, and the only way out is the previously unseen, the unrealistic. God splits the waters, and they walk through it to safety, and as the Egyptian army's following them, the waters come back onto them, and they're killed, and they're saved. The Israelites are saved. They believed in the unrealistic, and God did the previously unseen. What about Elijah in the next chapter? uh, First Kings chapter 18, Elijah's basically duking it out with these guys who believe in other gods, and he says, if your God is real, then let's, let's have a challenge to see if your God is real or my God is real. He says, for the first half of the day, you build this altar, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and if your God is real, he'll send fire down from heaven, and he'll light that altar on fire. He says, but if my God is real, he'll do it. So all day long, these guys worshiping this other God, they're praying, 450 of them just praying and dancing and doing their thing, and nothing's happening, crickets. And then it's Elijah's turn. And he says, I'm gonna double down. I'm gonna take all this water, jugs and jugs, gallons of water, pour it on the wood that it might be that much more unrealistic that God could do something never seen before. And he starts praying and the Bible says that fire came down from heaven and lit the altar. Elijah prayed for the previously unseen. Or the woman in the gospels, who she has the issue with blood and she's sick and it's been 12 years and her only hope is to fight through the crowd and to reach through the crowd and just to touch the hem of the garment of Christ. Never seen it before, it's undone, but God, that he might do something just through a touch. And what does God do? He he heals this woman through her faith, through believing in the unrealistic. And oh, how unrealistic is it that the God of the universe would come down in man, in Jesus, and that he would come and he would take our sins upon his sinless shoulders and die for us. How unrealistic is that? How previously unseen is that? And so my challenge to myself and to all of us this morning is don't be a realistic Christian. Don't be a realistic Christian because the Bible is full of unrealistic people believing in a very real God who's delivering in unrealistic ways. The Bible's full of it. I could have spent another 20 minutes talking about different stories in the Bible, stories of people that we know where God does unrealistic things. Don't be someone who is just living for the realistic. Back to the story, think about Elijah. This child's dead, he's never seen it done. He's never seen God raise someone from the dead. And, and so he just takes this kid from, from his mother's arms and he carries him up the stairs to the miracle maker, right to the foot of the miracle maker. There's no 911 to call, there, there's no CPR to begin. He only has God's help. And he puts all of his hope, all of his faith in God doing something he's never, ever, ever seen before. One of my favorite verses in the whole passage is verse 22, where it says that the Lord heard Elijah. The Lord heard Elijah, and that word heard is the Hebrew word shema, shema. And that word, it means that God carefully heard with attention and interest. The original word means that God carefully heard, not just, oh, I happen to be noticing, but that God carefully heard with attention and interest. Can I tell you something today? That God notices you. And that God notices me. And that God, he hears us when we have great faith. He notices when we bring these things to him. Just like Elijah brought this boy. And he said, God, I have something here that I've never seen you do before, God. But I love this child. God, and you've given me help through this child and his family. Would you please save this child? And God saves him. His posture it's what God noticed, and his posture is what enacted this miracle to happen in, in this child's life, and in this family's life. So as we wrap up this morning, I just want you to remember last week with Joshua, when he met Jesus, when he, when he was face to face with Jesus, it says that he got on his knees, right? And he fell before Jesus in humility, and in fear, and in awe, and in wonder. And In the book of Revelation, when John comes face to face with the resurrected Christ, in Revelation chapter one, it says that he fell to his knees before him in awe and in wonder and in fear and humility. But this story, I mean, Elijah goes to the next level. He goes to total helplessness, to total humility to total asking of God, would you please take this child? It says that he took him up to his room and he laid the kid on his bed. And, th- and this is just so bizarre to us. Why would we anyone do this? But, but it says that he got down onto this, his bed and that he laid down on the child three times, just like this. I mean, how weird is this? Helplessness, total humility. God, only you can do it. His heart's posture was right and God heard his cry. How many of us have things to bring to the Father today? How many of us have have miracles that need to be done? Maybe you've been praying and praying and crying out and crying out. And I wanna just challenge you today to in total humility and helplessness to bring those before God because God is able and God is still a miracle maker. These things are not isolated in a book, but they are follow a very real and living God who can work miracles in our life even today. And so my encouragement to you is to draw close to God and to say to him, God, I want to come before you in total humility and total helplessness. Asking for the miracle maker to draw close should move us to a posture of total humility. When we ask for the miracle maker to draw close, Our only posture is total helplessness and total humility. So as you come today, as we we continue in worship, as we respond this morning, as you go home today, as you maybe open up the Word and spend time in prayer this afternoon or tomorrow or this week, ask yourself the question, is the posture of my heart one that believes in the previously unseen and that in total humility, I bring it before the Father and I lay it down You could say, God, my marriage, it needs help. I've never seen you help me before in this, and I need your help. Or God, my my son, he's sick. Or God, my brother-in-law, he's not following you. Or God, my job is gone. What miracles do you need in your life? And would we be encouraged by the story of Elijah that when we draw near to the miracle maker, we should, it should move us to a posture of humility and believe that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. What is, possible with, what is impossible with man is possible with God is what Jesus said, God can do it. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and God, we say to you that nothing God, nothing is impossible for you. Even if I've never, ever seen it before, even if it's unrealistic, God, nothing is impossible for you. God, you are my healer. God, you are my portion, you're my helper. God, you are the one who brings miracles into our lives. And so God, we, we wanna say to you, whether it's because we've never seen you forgive our sins, God, we come before you today and we say, God, would you produce that miracle in my life that you might save me through the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, the greatest miracle, the greatest unseen thing before Jesus Christ, that we could have access and relationship to God. Or, or maybe this is a time God, where we can just bring people and and, and thoughts and we can bring uh, just needs before you, God. I pray that we would do it. God, we ask these things. We ask you to do the impossible in Jesus' name.